This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Our lesson is entitled today, The Greatest Test of All. And um, in my notes, I have something here to kind of get us started in, um, in this lesson that has to do with age. There's a poem that's called Time's Paces. Uh, it's a poem about the apparent, the, the apparent fast pace of time as we get older. And uh, all of us here who have reached some later years in life can say that it seems like uh, the older you get, the faster things go. And uh, I remember when I was just a kid, you know, I thought that vacation or the summer months when we were out of school, it seemed like, it seemed like a year. And then when Christmas came along, it seemed like it was about three years before Christmas was going to come again. But nowadays, it seems like we just put our Christmas tree away last week. It's time to get it out again. Uh, <clears throat> do you realize that today is the middle of August? Which means that Thanksgiving is only about three weeks away, and a, and a week after that's Christmas. <laughs> Anyway, this poem was written by Henry uh, Twells, T-W-E-L-L-S, in the late 1800s and was published as a hymn in 1901. It's etched on a clock case in um, Chester Cathedral in Cheshire, England, where it can, can be seen today. And here's the poem. Some of you have probably heard this before. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And later as I older grew, time flew. And soon I shall find, while traveling on, time gone. O Christ, wilt thou have saved me then? Amen. And that pretty much sums it up for us, doesn't it? Abraham was 75 years old when he enrolled in the School of Faith as we've been studying in our class. And now when we come to this time as, as we find him in chapter 22 of the book of Genesis, he's a little over 100 years old now. And none of us in this class, as far as I can tell, with the exception of one or two, have yet reached 100 years of age. And uh, I, when I say except one or two, I have some questions about one or two. We're not always honest about how old they really are. But anyway, <clears throat> we're never too old to face new challenges in life. We get them all the time. And when Abraham reached the age of 100, we find the biggest challenge that ever came to him in all of his life. Uh, we fight new battles, we, we learn new truths, and the truth is if we stop learning, we stop growing, and when we stop growing, we stop living. And so we're still all in the, this growing stage. We're all, we're still living, which means we're still growing. And the truth is every one of us in this room today is, uh, is a project in progress. You've heard me say that before. We're still progressing in this life. Abraham still had some things that he had to learn. 
Arthur Schopenhauer made this statement one time. He says, the first 40 years of life give us the text and the next 30 supply the context or the commentary. And for the Christian, the text of our life really ought to be Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And by the way, this same verse is found two other places in the Bible beside here in the New Testament. It's found as well. But here it is. The just shall live by faith. And we still need to be living by faith. The commentary is being written every day that we listen to God and obey him and his direction. But sad to say, some people understand neither the text nor the commentary that's written about the text. And their life comes to an end before they really have started to live. And that's a very tragic thing. But here in Genesis chapter 22, it records the greatest test that Abraham ever, ever faced. It truly presents a beautiful picture of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary. If you've read the ch uh, chapter 22, as I challenge you to do each week when I send out our notes, to read ahead, to read these chapters ahead. If you've read chapter 22, you realize that this is the record of when God called upon Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, up to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice. And a uh, big test. And a wonderful test. And he passed the test, by the way. But anyway, this is a picture of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. But the main lesson here is obedient faith that overcomes in the trials of life. Anybody in this room gone through any trials during the course of your, of your life? I have an idea that there may even be some of you seated, as you're seated here today, you're facing some trials right now. They may not be the same kind of trial that Abraham is facing. Because the truth is that the trials that we receive at God's hand uh, are tailor-made for each one of us. There's a reason for that. Uh, we're going to talk about the difference between uh, trials and temptations here in just a few moments, and there is a big difference between a trial of life, which usually comes from God, some of them we bring on ourselves, but, and, and, and temptation, there's a difference between the two of them. So anyway, um, Abraham teaches us how to handle these tests and how to glorify God in five simple instructions that he gives us. And so that's the course of our lesson today, these five instructions. And the first one is this, Roman numeral number one. Expect tests from God. Let's read the first two verses of chapter 22. It says this, And it came to pass after, those, after these things that God did tempt. The word there is Test. It's not a temptation. A temptation is a solicitation to do evil. But uh, often the word tempt in, in the King James Bible has the idea of a testing, and that's what we're talking about here, that God tested Abraham. And it came to pass in those days after those things that God did test or tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah, 
and offer him there as a burnt offering upon the mountain, which I shall tell thee of. And so God brought a test into Abraham's life. And then the next point, letter A, under that is, we must learn to value the value. We must learn the value of God's tests. Sometimes we waste those testing times. We don't learn what God has for us to learn here. So in the school of faith, it's necessary that we have occasional tests or we'll never know where we are spiritually. God brings these times into our lives so we can understand where we stand with him. So we can understand our relationship with him or our lack of proper relationship with him. He brings these things intentionally upon our life. And so Abraham had, to, had, had his share of tests right from the very beginning. And this next slide here that you'll see, I hope you can, I hope you can see it. Can you read that? Okay, I know it's kind of small print, but you have the fill in some blanks here, so let me help you with that. Here are the tests that Abraham had to endure. First of all, it was a family test. When God asked him to leave his family and step out by faith and go to a new land, that's found in chapter 11. We discussed that then. He passed that test. He listened to God. He left uh, Ur the Chaldees, as God told him to do, to go to a new land, which turns out to be the land of Canaan. Number two, but the second one is, but this was followed by a famine test. Famine. He failed this one because he doubted God and he went down to Egypt for help. We saw the tragedy of that down in chap back in chapter 12. But then once back into the land again, Abraham passed another test. It was called the fellowship test when he gave Lot the first choice in using the pasture land. He wasn't selfish. He allowed Lot to make, make a proper choice. And so it was a fellowship test. And then he passed the fight test in chapter 14 where he defeated the kings. A number of kings there that came out to fight Abraham, and Abraham won that. He passed that test. And then he passed the, the uh, fortune test when he said no to, to Sodom's wealth. Uh, the king of Sodom offered him all kinds of gifts and everything for him to compromise, and, and uh, Abraham said, no, I don't want your wealth. I don't need your wealth. I have God. But then the next test he failed. It's called the fatherhood test. When Sarah got impatient with God and suggested that Abraham have a child by her handmaid, Hagar, the Egyptian, he failed that test. And then when the time came to send Ishmael away, Abraham passed the farewell test, even though it broke his heart. And now that brings us to the greatest test of all here in chapter 22, which, by the way, he passed. And so as we look through these tests that Abraham has endured so far up to chapter 22, he failed two out of the seven. There were seven of them. He passed five of them. That's a good average, isn't it? It would have been nice if he had passed all of them. 
But now he's brought to the greatest test of his life, the greatest test he'll ever endure, the, the greatest thing that God will call upon him to do. He's faced with that now. God said, uh, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, the promised son, the one that was promised, that, that through Isaac he would make Abraham a great nation, and, and his children would be numbered beyond the number of sand upon the seashore and the stars in the sky. And now God said, Abraham, I want you to go offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Isaac didn't know what was about to happen. Uh, Abraham, it was just between God and Abraham here at this point. And so, um, and so he, 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 was, he, he was presented with this great test. You know, not every difficult experience in life is necessarily a test from God. Sometimes our own disobedience of, uh, disobedience causes our pain and disappointments. And, and uh, as was the case with Abraham when he went into Egypt. Uh, that was Abraham's fault, not God's. And also in Gerar, as we saw in chapter 20. And sometimes our hurts are simply just a part of normal life. As we grow older, friends and loved ones either die or they move away. And life changes around us and and many times we're forced to make uh, painful adjustments that uh, some of you here probably have had the painful experience of maybe having to put your parents in a, an assisted living home or something of that nature. And uh, I don't recommend that unless it's a necessary thing. And sometimes it is a necessary thing. But I think if we can take care of them in our home, we should do that. We should be uh, satisfied and, and uh, willing to do that. But sometimes that's not possible, and we understand that sort of thing. So anyway, that brings us to letter B. We must learn to distinguish between trials and temptations. Now, here's the difference between the two. Temptations come from the desires within us. You can read James chapter 1 and verses 12 through 16 to get the sense of that. And so temptations come from desires within us, but trials come from the Lord who has a very special purpose to fulfill in us. Uh, also, temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst of us. Trials are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. Temptations seem logical. Trials seem sometimes unreasonable. And for example, why would God give Abraham a son and then ask Abraham to offer him as a sacrifice? Why? That seemed like a very uh, unreasonable request, didn't it? And so um, uh, all believers face similar temptations to sin. We all, uh, there's none of us. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that um, uh, there is no temptation that is, there is no temptation but is common to man. Uh, every temptation we face, a solicitation to sin, somebody else before us has had that same temptation. Uh, there are probably no real new temptations uh, on the face of the earth, 
no other temp no temptations that somebody else hasn't had before us as far as temptations that is a solicitation to sin is concerned the devil has his bank to draw from you know and um but not all believers experience the same trials of faith. God's testings are tailor-made for each child of God. And each experience is unique to each child of God. God never asked Lot to face the test that Abraham faced. Why? Uh, simply because Lot was being tempted by the world and the flesh. And Lot never grew to the place of maturity that Abraham had reached. So so there were not the same testings that God brought to Abraham that he also brought to Lot. They were different. The testings were tailor-made for each of them like they are for us. Uh, you may think, you know, this, this testing that God's putting me through, I, I don't know if I can handle this or not. And sometimes it gets to that point, doesn't it? We, we, we wonder if, if, if we can really handle it. Well... I hope the lesson today will be a help to you as, we, as it unfolds before us to understand that, that God doesn't tempt us or doesn't test us to be on our ability to, uh, to, to, to stand the testing. Um, God knows how far he can go with each of us. So they're tailor-made because, uh, uh, because, uh, because we are God's children. Well... God sends a test. It, it shows, uh, you know, in, in one sense, it's a, it's a compliment when God sends a test because it shows that God wants to promote us in the school of faith. And God never sends a test until you're ready for it. Now, this is the first lesson that we need to learn, and that is to expect trials from God because the Christian life is not really all that easy. There's a song we used to sing, It's Not an Easy Road. I haven't heard it for a long time. Uh, but it's not an easy road. And you know, in some respects, and I, I, I always kind of hesitate to say this, but I have to say it because it's the truth. Sometimes it's easier to live as a sinner than it is as a saint. Isn't it? You find that to be true? The devil didn't bother you when you were when you were his child, he left you alone. I mean, it was just an easy road just to go his way, you know, and he'd leave you alone. But when you became a child of God, uh, he turned his whole artillery on you. But aren't you glad that, uh, that his artillery doesn't hold a candle to God's power and God's intervening grace? I praise God for that. Number two, Roman numeral number two. Focus on promises, not explanations. In verses three through five, we read these words. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took, uh, took uh, two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and claved wood uh, for the burnt offering, and rose up and went up to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here, abide ye here with the ass, and I and, and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Uh, I have underscored in my Bible those two words, worship, and then the phrase, 
and come again to you. Abraham had been told, you know, slay Isaac. Well, you know what? I believe that God, I believe that Abraham had such faith in the promise of God, not the explanation. God didn't really give him an explanation for what he asked him to do. He just said, do it, right? But Abraham had focused on the promise of God. He says, in Isaac, I'll make you a great nation. And he wasn't expecting to bring a corpse back to those two lads that were down there keeping the donkeys. Why? Because he had his eye fixed upon God's promise and not, again, not on God's explanation. God doesn't always explain to us right away. I think eventually it's made clear to us. Maybe not even until, uh, until we get to heaven will we fully understand what God's doing, what, has God, what God had been doing in our life. But, but I believe with all my heart that, um, that if we keep our, our eyes focused upon the promises of God and not expect him to give us an explanation for what he's doing in our life, I think it'll turn out better for us if we do that. Sometimes we call that blind faith. I don't know if that's a good term or not, a blind faith. But it is faith, and I praise the Lord for that. You know, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems to be unbearable, to do what seems to be unreasonable, and to spec what seems to be impossible. When you look at Joseph in the prison, Moses in Israel uh, at the Red Sea, David in the cave, Jesus on the cross, the lesson is always the same. We live by promise, not by explanation. God doesn't always give us an explanation, but he always has a promise for us. And so we should focus on the promises of God, not on any explanation. God's request seemed to be unreasonable. Isaac was Abraham's only son, and the future of the whole covenant rested in that. Isaac was a gift of God to Abraham and Sarah in response to their faith. Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac very much. And they had built their whole future around him. And when God told Abraham to offer his son, he was testing God's faith, or Abraham's faith, his hope, and his love. And it looked like God was wiping out everything that Abraham and Sarah had ever hoped for or wished for or were working for in their life and planning for in their life. When God sends a trial, our first response usually is, why, Lord? And then after we say, why, Lord, the next question is, why me, Lord? We've all done that. Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why is it me? Why not somebody else? Why not Joe Blow over there? You know, he doesn't seem to live for you like I'm trying to live for you. Why aren't you treating him like that? Well, it's because God has something special for you that he doesn't have planned for Joe Blow, you see. Right away, we want God to give us an explanation and of course, we know that God has reasons for sending tests. Perhaps, perhaps it's to purify our faith. Peter deals with that in his first epistle. 
Or maybe it's to perfect our character according to what James tells us in the first chapter of his epistle. Or even to protect us from sin as Paul describes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But we fail to see how these things really apply. How God is applying them to our life. And the fact that we ask our Father for an explanation suggests to us that we may not know God quite as well as we ought to. Abraham heard God's word and immediately by faith he obeyed. He knew God's will never contradicted God's promises. And so he held on to the promise, and Isaac shall thy seed be called. That's found in chapter 21, verse 12. That was last week's lesson. By the way, I really appreciate Pastor Asher filling in for me last week. I understand I had a good class session. In fact, I heard you laugh a lot, or at least some. That's good. We need to do that. Abraham believed that even if God allowed him to slay his son, he could raise him from the dead. In fact, that's what Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 in verses 17 through 19 there, that, that, that that's what Abraham believed. He not only had faith in the promises of God, but he had faith to believe that if God allowed him to take it to the point where he did have to slay uh, Isaac on that altar that God could raise him up. You see, Abraham may have failed two of those former tests, but as a result of failing those two former tests and then, and then passing the other five of those former tests, he'd learned some things along the line of life. He's 100 years old now, a little over 100 actually. And he's learned some things along the way. He's learned that he could trust God. And I think, believe he also learned that when he didn't trust God, he got himself into trouble like he did down in Egypt in Gerar. But when he put his faith in God's promises and just believed what God had to say and fulfill God's will, walk in the word of God and, the, and in the will of God, that God would take care of him. And that's all the assurance he needed. He didn't need God to explain to him anything. He just needed to keep the promises that God had given to him. I've lost my place in my notes here. You know, faith doesn't demand explanations. Faith rests upon the promises of God. Now, this is something interesting. Abraham had two of his servants. And um, he said, and he and, the, he and the lad, he said, I and the lad will go yonder to worship and come again to you. Because he believed God, Abraham had two uh, two uh, intention had no intentions, as I said earlier, to bring back a corpse. Abraham believed God; he obeyed God, and when he did, he he obeyed God when he did not know where. Abraham or uh, 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 Hebrews eleven, he didn't know when, uh, he didn't know how, and he didn't know why. But he put a lot of faith in the promise of God, and that brings us to Roman numeral three. Depend on God's provision. This is verses uh, 6 through 14. 
In verse 6 it says, And Abraham took the wood, the wood of the burnt offering, laid it, laid it upon Isaac. And take note of that little phrase right there. He took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took, uh, fi he took fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood on the altar uh, laid, and laid the, wood on, uh, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on, on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took a knife to slay his son and the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Remember the angel of the Lord here in the Old Testament is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord was an, was an appearance of Jesus Christ. Old Testament appearance of Christ. And the angel of the Lord called upon him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. This is the third time Abraham says, here I am. When God spoke to him in verse 1 or verse 2, verse, uh, verse 1, he said, I'm here, God. I'm here. And then, um, and then uh, he also, in verse 7, uh, when Isaac spoke to him, he says, here I am, Isaac. And now the angel of the Lord speaks to him again, and he says, here, here, I, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thyself this thing upon, neither do, the, neither do thou anything unto him, uh, for, for, I, for, I, for now I know, uh, for now I know, that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, and, be, and, behind, and behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead, in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. That name Jehovah, well, Jehovah Jireh, I'll talk about that here in just a few moments. In fact, I'll talk about it right now. But anyway, uh, he depended on God's provision. There are two statements in this passage that we just read uh, that, are, that are wonderful. First of all, the statement that God will provide himself a lamb. It's in verse 8. And then this name here in verse 14, Jehovah-Jireh. It means this. It means the Lord will see to it. That is, the Lord will provide. That's what the name Jehovah-Jireh means. Um, the Lord will provide. Abraham was confident that God would pro provide everything that he needed. Um, he uh, was dependent completely upon the Lord. Well, what could, this is letter A, what could Abraham depend on? Number one, not on his feelings. 
He must have had trouble, uh, terrible mental pain when he thought about slaying his son on the altar. He loved his only son, but he also loved his sovereign God and he wanted to obey him. But he realized that he couldn't depend on his feelings. God had given him a promise. And so regardless of what his feelings were, he had to, he had to protect the promise of God. He had to depend upon the promise of God. You know, our problem is that we so often go by our feelings. And we can't discount feelings. We talked about this, I don't know, several weeks ago uh, in another passage that we were uh, teaching. And, and feelings are sometimes a good indicator. But the truth is when our feelings go contrary to the promise of God, we need to chunk our feelings, you know, and trust God. Feelings are not always the best guide. Uh, number two, not on other people. Sarah was at home, and the two servants that accompanied them, were they were back in the camp keeping the donkeys. And so we, have to, we, we, we thank God for friends and family members who can help us carry our burdens, but, but there are some times when the trials of life are, are, are faced alone. We have to face them alone. It's only then that we can experience what God our Father in heaven can really do for us when we know that we are just with God. And God knows our need. He provides for our need. And because of God and ourselves just together, uh, we experience what God can really do for us. That's why the trials that God brings into our lives, lives are tailor-made for us. Because God knows what we need. He knows uh, where we are with him. And he tailor makes these trials for us. And sometimes we think that the trials that God brings upon us are more than we can bear. And yet God's teaching us something wonderful if we'll live according to it. So it couldn't depend on other people. So number three, only on the promise and the provision of God. Abraham had already experienced the resurrection power of God in his own body. And I want you to turn with me back to the Romans chapter 4 for a moment. Keep your finger here in, in uh, Genesis chapter 22. But go to Romans chapter 4. And uh, there's a parallel passage here in the book of Romans. Uh, beginning at verse 19 that, that indicates to us of uh, this resurrection power. Because Abraham had already experienced a resurrection power in his life. But look at it, as Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. And being not weak in faith, it's talking about Abraham. If you go back a little further, you'll see that Abraham, here is the subject. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Well, God's speaking, or Paul here speaking about the fact that Abraham was beyond the ability to bear a child, to conceive a child. And so was Sarah's wife. In fact, the next phrase says that, I think. Um, uh, now, he was about 100 years old. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so they were considered dead. Remember, I think it was two weeks ago we talked about 
the deadness, uh, this matter of them being dead. They were considered dead as far as being, a, being able to produce new life. Abraham or Sarah was beyond the, the age of childbearing, and, and Abraham was beyond the, his body was dead as well. Uh, they, they just couldn't produce a child. That's what makes Isaac's birth so miraculous. Does that remind you somewhat of the birth of Christ, the miraculous birth of Christ, born of a virgin? How in the world could that happen? Well, God's in it. That's how it happened. Let's go on, verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God. There's the clue right there. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He, didn't have, he did not ex exercise unbelief in the promise of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, not being fully persuaded, uh, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. You see, Abraham had developed in his spiritual life at this point when we come to chapter 22, he had developed in his spiritual life to the very point that, that he could take God at his word and say, God's going to fulfill his word. I'll just be obedient to God and, and do what God has asked me to do and, and, and let God take care of the consequences of it. And that's what all of us need to do. Believe God and let God take care of the consequences. Pass the test. Apparently, no such resurrection had taken place before this time, and so Abraham was experiencing, was exercising a great deal of faith. There's no physical resurrection. Uh, there was no physical resurrection at this point in, in time when chapter 22 took place. But there was this, um, uh, well, what's the term I'm looking for here? It was a, a resurrection of, of, of the resurrection of Christ, the power of Christ manifested in their lives that, uh, that brought a new life in when, when Sarah conceived and, uh, and bore a son. Well, let her be. What was the provision of God? I think this is kind of interesting here. What was the provision of God? God provided a ram for the sacrifice to take Isaac's place on the altar. Verse 13, Abraham discovered a new name for God, Jehovah-Jireh, uh, which can be translated, the Lord, will, uh, the Lord will see to it. And then here's, a, here's something that's interesting, the statement in the mount of the Lord, it shall, it, shall, uh, it shall be seen. It gives us some truths about the provision of God. By the way, do you realize that the mountain, the Mount, um, uh, mount Moriah, is where the temple, the, the Old Testament temple was built? Today there's the mosque of Omar, not the mosque of Omar, that, the thing with that golden... Um, what's, that, what's that, huh? Dome of the Rock. Dome of the Rock. Uh, it's a mosque uh, temple. It's built over Mount Moriah today. 
that's where, that's where Solomon's temple used to be. And when the millennial temple is going to be born, uh, built, that mosque, uh, that dome of the rock is going to go. <laughs> it won't be there anymore. God's going to move it. Uh, when Jan and I, in fact, Jan didn't hear this. She was sick in the hospital, not in the hospital, in the hotel uh, the first time we went to Israel. But uh, we went with... Um, Help me out. No, no, not Tom Farrell. The other time, yeah, yeah, it was when Tom, we went with Tom Farrell and. Uh, I'm sorry. Jimmy DeYoung. Uh, Jimmy DeYoung was our our tour guide, and um, <clears throat> we went. He took us into the what's called the Jerusalem Tunnel that runs parallel to the Wailing Wall, and we went into that tunnel. And we stopped at one place. And um, over to my, what was my, where I was standing, what was to my left, you could see that, that that wall had been dug into, and then it was patched up. And Jimmy DeYoung told us that, that right directly behind that wall was um, Mount Moriah where, where Abraham offered Isaac. And it was right underneath of the altar uh, of the Solomon's temple, of the Old Testament temple. And, um, and they said it had been excavated by the Jerusalem University. Um, there's a society there that has the millennial something or other. I forget, it. I, I, I forget what it's called. But he said they opened it up and they saw in there the uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And as soon as they saw it, they, they sealed it up again. Have you ever wondered when you read through the Bible whatever happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Whatever happened to it, we don't know. It's, it The Bible doesn't tell us. And... Um, and uh, whether that's true or not, I don't, I don't know. I, uh, but anyway, that's kind of interesting, I thought. But, uh, but anyway, <clears throat> where the Ark of the Covenant was in the Old Testament days in the temple is, uh, is right on the mount where Isaac was offered, where Abraham offered Isaac or attempted to offer Isaac. Well, let's move on here. I've got it. Only eight minutes to finish here. But what was the provision of God? Well, first of all, number one, where does the Lord provide our needs? The answer to that question is in the place of his choosing. Abraham was in the right place when God met his need. Uh, we, have no, we have no right to expect God to provide if we are not where God, where, where, where we should be in the will of God. Number two, when does God meet our need? God provides when we have, when we have the need and not before. When you bring your request to the throne of grace, God answers with mercy and grace. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says what? In the time of need. 
Sometimes it looks like God waits to the last minute to help us out, but, uh, but that's only from a human perspective because God is never late. He's never late. And we may wonder, God, when, you gonna, when are you going to help me? Well, you just keep obeying God and walking with God, and in the time of need, you'll find grace to help in the time of need. All right? Um, Number three, how does God provide for us? This is interesting. God provides in ways, ways that are usually quite natural. You know, we look for lightning bolts from heaven, but just look around you. How did God provide for Abraham? God didn't send an angel with a sacrifice. He simply allowed a ram to get caught in the bushes uh, at the time when Abraham needed it and in the place where Abraham can get his hands on it. And also I want you to notice this, that God didn't send a whole flock of lambs there, just one ram, that's all Abraham needed. And number four, to whom does God give his provision? God protects those who trust him and obey his instructions. Uh, When we're doing the will of God, we have the right to expect the provision of God. A deacon in the church used to remind his pastor of this. When God's work is done in God's way, it'll not lack for God's support. That's a good statement. Thank God for godly deacon. Actually, uh, Warren, that's, a, that's a Warren Wearsby in his notes. He said that that happened in a church that he pastored, a former church that he pastored. He had a deacon, but often reminded that when God's work is done in God's way, it'll not lack for God's support. God's not obligated to bless our ideas or our projects, but he is obligated to support his work if it's done in his way. And then uh, number five, why does God provide every need? He does it for his glory, for his namesake. Hallowed be thy name. That's the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. And it governs all the other requests. God God was glorified on Mount Moriah because Abraham and Isaac did the will of the Lord and glorified Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. They glorified the angel of the Lord. And And that takes us to the very next point, Roman numeral number four. Seek to glorify Christ. Seek to glorify Christ. In times of testing, it's so easy for us to think about our own needs and our own burdens instead of focusing on bringing glory to Jesus Christ. We find ourselves asking, uh, how can I get out of this? Instead, we should be asking, what can I get out of this to honor our Lord? We sometimes waste our our suffering by neglecting the opportunity to reveal Jesus Christ to others who may be watching us go through that furnace of fire. People are watching us, you know. And what a testimony we can be to glorify Christ if we handle the testings that God sends our way, if we handle them in such a way that others will look at us and see Christ glorified in us. That's what it's all about. If there were ever two people that revealed Christ, it was Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Their experience is a picture of the Father, the Son, and the cross. It's one of the most beautiful types of Christ 
we find in the Old Testament. Jesus said to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. That's John chapter 8, verse 56. In Isaiah's miraculous birth, Abraham saw the day of Christ's birth. In Isaac's marriage, in Genesis 24, he saw the day of Christ's coming for his bride. But here on Mount Moriah, when Isaac willingly put himself on the altar, Abraham saw the day of Christ's death and resurrection. And there are several truths about the atonement that we see here. And let me just go through these quickly, okay? Letter A, the father and son acted together. They went together. God loved the son. The son loved God as much as they loved us. Letter B, the son had to die. The answer to the question, where is the lamb? That was answered by John the Baptist in John chapter 1 and verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Letter C. The son bore the burden of sin. Isaac didn't carry the wood until they got to Mount Moriah. Abraham carried the wood until they got to the mount. And then, what's it say? that Abraham put, laid the wood on Isaac. What's that a picture of? The wood is not a picture of the cross. Jesus didn't carry the cross all the way to Calvary, remember? So then what, what is the wood? The wood is, is not a picture of the cross. For, uh, and and uh, the wood is a picture of the burden of sin. It's a type of Jesus Christ that he bore According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Abraham took the wood, laid it on Isaac his son, verse 6, just as the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of all of, all of our sin, Isaiah 53, 6. Letter D, the son was raised from the dead. Isaac was not mentioned. Isaac is not mentioned. You know, <clears throat> Isaac did not actually die except in a figure. And then you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. It would be nice if we had time to look at all these verses in Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19, we find out that Isaac died as a figure. The word figure is used there, or as a type. He died and was raised from the dead. Jesus, however, really did die. He was buried. And he was triumphantly, triumphantly resurrected. It's interesting that Abraham returned to the two servants there in Genesis chapter 22, but nothing said about Isaac coming back to him. Did you notice that as we read it? There was no mention of Isaac returning. It says Abraham returned to the two sons, no mention of Isaac. Now, it's rather obvious that Isaac did return back home with Abraham, but we never hear of Isaac again until we come to chapter 24, where he receives his bride, Rebekah. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of the return of Jesus Christ when he comes back to receive his bride, the church. And so the type is carried through here uh, of the return of Christ. And then this brings us to 12 o'clock. Right on the nose, according to that clock back there. But I've got to give you these blanks, okay? So hang in there. We're going to do it quickly. Roman numeral number five. Look forward to what God has for you. And this is verses uh, 15 through 24, and I'll let you read those. 
There's always an after to the test of life. And Abraham received several blessings from God because of his obedient faith. And here they are, and I'm just going to give you the blanks. Abraham received a new approval. Letter B, Abraham received back a new son. Isaac was now a living sacrifice. Letter C, Abraham received a new assurances from God. He renewed the covenant with Abraham. New assurances. Letter D, Abraham learned a new name for God, Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord will see to it. The Lord will provide. And you can read the fill in there. There's a, they, I left those there in your notes for that you could read and catch what I wasn't able to get to. Our Father, we're thankful for what we've learned uh, through this wonderful picture that you've given to us in the Old Testament of what happened on Calvary. And the strengthening of faith through tests. Lord, I pray that you would be with each of us as we face the various tests that you allow to come into our lives. I pray God for right now for maybe some in this class and perhaps some who are watching through live stream who are going through some real tests in life right now. I pray God something of the life of Abraham and his faith in the promises of God would be helpful and encouraging and uplifting to us, Lord, to realize that we have a God who cares. And, uh, and though, Lord, it may seem sometimes that some of the things that you bring about in the course of our lives may be unreasonable, may seem to be unreasonable, and may be impossible, that with you nothing's impossible, that all things are possible. And that you love us in spite, God, of, of what you allow us to go through. Because you're trying to perfect us into the image of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.